All right, if you have your Bibles tonight, let's open the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll begin reading here in just a moment in verse 22. Let me say how honored and blessed I am to be standing before you tonight. Wasn't expecting this honor, but I'm certainly grateful for it. And uh, y'all have been just as much of a blessing to Cindy and I as I hope we've been to you. And uh, man, we have got our eyes and hearts open in the time that we've been here. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done here. And uh, God is still looking for servants. Amen. And if you know anything about... The United States military, our Marine Corps, used to have a recruiting slogan that says, we're looking for a few good men. Well, God was looking a long time before the U.S. Marines ever were. He's still looking for good men and good women that are willing to get in the fight and serve Him. And this afternoon, Brother Ledbetter, on the way home from church, asked me if I could prepare something on service to the Lord. And... uh I basically just uh, reworked a message I preached at home about a month ago, and I trust it will be a blessing to you tonight. Uh, I'm going to have to do this a little bit differently than I normally do for the sake of time. So uh, if my method of delivery is a little bit unorthodox, I hope that won't throw anybody. So, all right, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse number 22. Now, in this verse, we're going to find the two words that are the key to this entire text. Flee and follow. All right, more on that here in just a moment. Look what Paul is saying to the young preacher, Timothy. Now, this is good instruction to the young minister, but it's also to good instruction and righteousness to Christians in general. Amen. Amen. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness. One has to follow the other. If God's going to ask you to flee from something, He's also going to ask you to follow something else. Alright, one is no good without the other. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. The message I want to preach tonight is entitled, The Four C's of Biblical Christianity. Now in verses 24 and 25... God, the Apostle Paul, rather, lays out some things that God is looking for in a servant. The Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. In other words, you should have an aptitude. You should be ready to teach. What do you say to the young preacher? Be instant, in season, out of season. You preach when it's popular and when it isn't. You preach when you're ready and when you're not. Just go and God will give you the words to say. Verse 25, in meekness and struct... Now, what is meekness? We talked a little bit about this this morning. Let me give you a simple definition for meekness. That's power under control. The Bible says that Moses was a very meek man. But it also says that Moses, at the age of of Moses, at the age of 120, that his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. I take that to mean he could have snatched any one of those young Hebrew boys up by the nap of the neck and turned him every which way but loose if he wanted to. If God instructed him to do so. Meekness is not weakness by any means. Let's not confuse the two. In meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Now these are simple things. 
Uh, can we not agree tonight there's nothing difficult at all about any of those things? God's not really asking for much from a servant, is He? Now, if that being the case, why do pastors, and I can't speak for conditions here in Ireland, you'd have to talk to the men who are much more experienced, have been here a while, like Brother Craig and uh, Brother Dan and Brother Andrew. I can't speak to how conditions are here, but I can tell you how they are in the States. Pastors have to find people, search far and wide to find people willing to go out and do what we've done this week, knock on doors and hand out tracts. You ought to consider that an honor and a privilege to go do that uh, for the one who loved you and gave himself for you. That should be the very least you could do for him. Offer yourself to serve him. Yet when you ask for nursery workers, I've had people, when I was pastoring, ask me, I'd ask ladies about working in the nursery, they'd take me by the hand, Oh Lord, please send workers to the harvest. Lady, your kids are the harvest. You are the worker. Why can't you see that? They want all the blessings and benefits of church and in Christianity, but want none of the responsibilities. American Christians, quite simply, have grown lazy. They're proud, they're arrogant, and they're lazy, and they're not going to do anything that they can get someone else to do for them. In the book of Amos chapter 8, God said, told Israel in the last days, or in certain days, He would send a famine in the land. Not of bread or a thirsting of water, but of the hearing of the words of God. Now, here's how it get preached in America. They just say, a famine of the words of God. That isn't true. This King James Bible is still readily available at any Walmart in America for about $5. You can have a Bible if you want to. The Word of God is available. God said His Word would stand forever, amen. He said His Word would not return unto Him void. It would accomplish the purpose for which He sent it forth. The problem is not in God supplying the Word. The problem is in God's people hearing what they're being taught and what they're being told and what God is supplying and applying that in their daily lives. They don't want to have to make sacrifices. You know, God never said this thing would be easy. But He did say he'd be worth, it would be worth it at the end of the line. Amen? I submit to you tonight that the reason... Why Christians can't follow the things outlined in verse 22 is because many refuse to flee the youthful lust that you're commanded to do previous to that. You can't let go of home box office. You know, the movie subscription services. You can't let go of Showtime. You can't let go of ESPN, all the sports channels. One of the doors we knocked on yesterday, Brother Craig tried to give a little bit of a testimony to the man and talk to him, and he said, I go watch the World Cup and turned around and walked away. You know what he just did? He just identified his God. Amen. I don't mean to be crude here tonight, but I'm going to tell it like it is. America has four main gods right now. Sex, money, sports, and education. That's what Americans worship. What about Ireland? You tell me. Are you that much further behind us? I don't think so. But what does it mean to follow righteousness. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, John wrote, He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, meaning the Lord, is righteous. So righteousness is not just hearing, righteousness is doing. If you're doing the work of the Lord, you're righteous. Amen. How about faith? Follow faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. What did it say about Abraham? 
God accounted unto him for righteousness. Amen. He told him to get up out of the lands, Brother Craig alluded to this morning, and go to a land that I shall take thee to. Did he even question it? No. What about Noah? God told Noah, get your boys and build a boat. It's going to rain. At that point, the earth had never seen rain. God watered the earth with a mist out of the ground. He preached for 120 years. I imagine he got called a crackpot, got called an idiot, got labeled all kinds of names. You crazy old man. It's never rained before. It's not going to rain tonight. Well, I tell you what, when they started pounding on that door, after God shut that thing, Noah, we believe you. Noah, we believe you. Noah, let us in. God shut that door and no man was going to open it. Amen. They had their chance. They refused to believe God, refused to believe God's man, and they suffered the consequences. No faith. Follow charity. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The simplest definition of charity that I can give you is love and action. It's a love that prompts you and spurns you to action on behalf of others. It's placing others' well-being ahead of your own. Esteeming others greater than yourself. There's not enough of that in Christianity today. Follow peace. John 14, verse 27, the Lord told His disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen. There's been a lot of times in my ministry that I wondered how I was going to pay the next round of bills. But it never kept me from sleeping. Because the peace of God that passeth all understanding fills my mind and heart through Christ Jesus. It's God's will for His children to have peace. Amen. You see that time and time again throughout the New Testament. Concerning divorce, God, where there's an unequal yoking, Paul said, if the unbelieving depart... Let them depart. God has called His children to peace. Amen? Something to think about. And here's number six I'd like to cover in this verse. You're to follow all these things with them. In other words, this is addressing the company that you keep. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Find a good example that you can look up to and that you can follow and start learning from them. Amen? Your pastor would be a good example. These seasoned men. I was very blessed to go out soul winning the other day with Brother Paul and with Brother Dan and then yesterday with Brother Weston. These men have a heart and a passion for souls. You want to win souls for Christ? Partner up with them and go with them sometime. They'll teach you a thing or two. Amen? This is one that speaks to any Christian regardless of their age or maturity level. Folks, we need examples. We need examples. We can't do this on our own. Others have blazed a trail before us. There's no reason why we can't find an example. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For an example. Paul said, make us your example. We've behaved ourselves worthily before you. You're not chargeable to you for anything. We've preached the gospel to you. We've labored day and night. Let us, let us be your example. Now, there's no self-righteousness there. 
He's just telling it like it is. Amen? Find someone that you could follow. Then he tells them why in verse 18. And I wish young people today could get this ominous warning. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Okay? Not everybody that wears a cross bears a cross. Amen? Anybody can wear a cross, but who's going to bear one? Amen? Your cross is whatever God has called you individually to do. My cross is not Brother Craig's cross. Brother Craig's cross is not Brother Dan's cross. Amen? And so forth and so on. What has God called you as an individual to do for Him? And are you doing it? Amen? If you're not, you're a bad example to the flock. Amen? I tell you, I now tell you, even weeping, they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, verse 19, whose end is destruction. They are not going to get away with misleading the sheep. I'm in Philippians chapter 3, bro. Verse 19. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. You minding earthly things, you're carnal, aren't you? What does this book say about being carnally minded? Or to be carnally minded is death. And that is just as true after you're saved as it is before you were saved. The wages of sin after you're saved is still death. <laughs> the Bible does say there is a sin unto death. I don't want to see it come upon anybody. But I have seen God take some people out of here in my time very early because of a lack of obedience. Amen? So we see if we are going to flee and follow as commanded in our text here, we're going to have to employ the four C's that I spoke of earlier. And I hope this will make sense to you tonight. That when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we may be found pleasing unto Him. Is that not our goal tonight? Do we not want to hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant? The first C that we're going to have to employ tonight in the service of the Lord is courage. Amen? We were talking about something the other day at a discipleship class I was privileged to sit on and in the, uh, uh Brother Craig made a comment about American football players, and Brother Weston said, they're such wimps. He's a lot closer to the truth than he knows, amen? A bunch of overpaid crybabies. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines courage as follows. Listen closely. Bravery, intrepidity, that quality of mind which enables men to encounter danger and difficulties with firmness, or without fear or depression of spirits. Valor, boldness, resolution. Sounds a lot like setting your face like a flint. Amen. And doing what God has called upon you to do. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth. Yeah, the false servants of the Lord I hear have always got 101 excuses for not doing what they're supposed to be doing, don't they? The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Amen. This fellow sitting right back here, he's, he's bold as a lion. <laughs> Brother Paul, I'm telling you, he's a blessing. He doesn't fear any man. 
He knows where he came from and he knows where he's going and he wants to take as many people as he can with him. Amen. Amen. Folks, how many of us tonight, if we will be honest with ourselves and with God, how many of us have the courage of our convictions tonight? We claim to love the Lord. Really? Why aren't you serving Him? We can't claim... The King James Bible is the Word of God. Really? Can you prove it to somebody on the street? Why not? The material is readily available. Anybody that wants to know can. God's not hiding it from anybody. Are you maybe afraid that you might be mocked a little bit? Are you afraid you might be laughed at? Maybe somebody poke a little fun at you? It was talked about this morning, but I'll talk about it again here tonight. What is that in comparison to being sawn asunder? Being dropped in a large canvas bag full of poisonous serpents and thrown in a river. What is that in comparison to laying your head on a Roman chopping block and giving the last full measure of your devotion to the service of the Lord? God's not going to call everybody to be a martyr. Okay? But you ought to be willing to be one if God intends that for you. Amen? Amen. Courage. There's a lack of it today. Not only do we need courage, but we need candor. You may be familiar with this saying here in Ireland, but in the States we would call this being willing to call a spade a spade. In other words, tell it like it is. Seeing things for how they are and not how you would like for them to be. Webster defined it as openness of heart, frankness, freedom for tricks, freedom from tricks or disguise, sincerity. You gotta be willing to call sin sin. Amen. Don't tap dance around it. Don't try to ignore it. Confront it head on in a gentle, loving manner. Jesus said, go and tell them about their sin. Do you not? Is that not what he told Ezekiel, brother? Be not dismayed at their looks. <laughs> if looks could make me quit, I'd have quit 18 years ago. I started out on a rescue mission, and trust me, you get a lot of them. Amen? The place where I started in the ministry, I dealt with street men, many of them just drunkards. The term alcoholic is a term that the news media and the medical community came up to try to with to try to get insurance companies to pay for alcohol treatment. Here's alcohol treatment right here. We went to an alcohol treatment uh, Friday night at graduation there. Amen. This is what this is the only thing that's going to get men off of alcohol permanently. Anything else, you're just transferring the addiction. I don't understand why in the states when people come in addicted to heroin. Uh, crack cocaine or anything like that, they put them on methadone. It makes them more manageable, but you're addressing the symptom and not the problem. Right. Somebody doesn't have the candor to tell them, to tell them yep. you've got a problem. Yep. Amen? With the rescue mission, 33 to 35% of the men who came through that mission in those days had some type of post-secondary education. In other words, you had vocational certificate, you had a junior college degree, or you had a four-year college degree. It wasn't uncommon to see somebody with a master's or a Ph.D. 
You say, what would possess people to want to live on the street? Problem with authority. The drugs, the alcohol, people being mean to them, not getting the promotion, the frustrated ambition that comes along with that were all secondary. The real problem was they had a problem with authority. They wanted people to listen to them, to look at them, to not tell them, and to not tell them no. Amen? They wanted to be seen, looked upon. They didn't want to be told when, where, how, or what to do. They already knew it all. They didn't think they needed help. Amen? And that little monkey crept up on their back called addiction. (laughs) Amen? It will lay you low. Nothing sadder than seeing a man with Ph.D. in physics laying in the gutter. I've seen it. It hurts. But the only way you're going to help that man is to be honest with him. Let him know that he's a sinner. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul put it this way, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation, our manner of living in this world, and more abundantly to you word. Paul wasn't ashamed of his testimony. You see, he didn't just talk the talk. He walked the walk. And that's what God's looking for today. People that are going to walk the walk. We need courage. We need candor. And we need competence. Competence is simply being sound in one's field of study. If you were having surgery tomorrow, okay, do you want a surgeon cutting on you that hasn't been trained? Not me. I don't ever want to have to go to court for any reason. The Bible says we're Christians shouldn't go to court with each other. But unfortunately, sometimes you have to. You're left with no alternative. And if I have to go to court, I want a lawyer who's competent. One who knows what he's doing. One who is going to fight for me. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I want him to adopt the character of a pit bulldog. You go into that courtroom and you clamp down with your teeth on my opponent's throat and don't let up until they die or I win, whichever comes first. <laughs> Amen? Would you not want that? The whole object's to win, right? Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, the Bible speaks of a group of folks who were competent in their scriptures. Paul and Silas visited a little town called Berea. Verse seven, uh, verse 10 says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, whose coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were noble, more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. You have to keep in mind at this point the New Testament is in its infancy. It has not yet been completed. It's still a work in progress. But the Old Testament had been complete for over 400 years. But these people could take their Old Testament scriptures and see that what Paul was telling them was the truth. Therefore, they were not deceived. The Bible says they received it with willingness, readiness of mind. Readiness of heart. Amen. How many people here tonight, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, know how to take this King James Bible or just a little pocket soul winner's New Testament 
and lead a soul to Christ. Don't answer me. Answer yourself and answer God. How many of you could do that tonight if called upon? If you can't do that, then you have some work to do in the area of competence in your Scripture. You see, we have one commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have one field manual. That's just King James Bible. And we have one mission, and that is to win souls. It is our duty. It's not a request. It is our duty to win souls. It should burden you tonight if your next-door neighbor is going to hell. It should burden you if your mother or father and one of your children are going to hell. Maybe some of you have teenage or adult children and you're afraid to witness to them because you're afraid it might harm your relationship with them. Would you rather have them mad at you or God mad at you? Amen? Kindly, lovingly, look them in the eye, say son, daughter, whatever the name may be, I love you, but you're on your way to hell. And outside of trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to bust hell wide open. But I promise you this, if you do go to hell, you'll have to cross a mountain of prayer and an ocean of tears to do it. Because I'm not going to quit on you. Amen. Hello? Amen? And then hold yourself to that promise. Be confident in your scriptures tonight. And finally tonight, we need commitment. This is not a short-term thing. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. That's why we're told to run our race with patience, laying aside every weight and the sin with dust so easily beset us. Amen? How many of you ever ran hurdles in school here? Track and field. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm not mistaken, hurdlers are not even trained to look at the hurdles, are they? You're trained to look at the tape. You use your peripheral vision for the hurdles. In other words, you keep your eyes on the prize. What's the prize? The Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting at the end of the line to welcome us home. The Smyrna age of church history, and I don't have time to fully develop this tonight, was a time of terrible persecution. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord had a message for that church, and it was this. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. A thousand years of the Lord is one day, one day is a thousand years. And you trace from the Council of Nicaea, A.D. 325, up to about 1300, 1350, terrible persecution of the church. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. It didn't say until death. Amen. Anybody can do that. It doesn't take a great degree, and I'm not belittling it, don't misunderstand me, but it doesn't take a great degree of effort to come and sit in your seat week in and week out here at this church for most of us, listen to good preaching and good teaching. But what are you going to do with it? Being faithful unto death is something entirely different. 
that requires commitment. That means being willing to die rather than deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or compromise your convictions. That takes commitment. Amen? How committed are we tonight, folks? If we're going to serve God the way that we should in a meaningful way, we need these four things. Courage, candor, competence, and commitment. You have to purpose in your heart to do these things. Nobody can make you do it. God's not going to make you do it. He wants to see you do it willingly from the heart. If you will, He will bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or think. And when you stand before Him, you will do so without regret. Amen? Amen.